Cairo, Seattle. Well, season two brings us a first for Above and Beyond. We've talked to plenty of football players. We've had team chaplains, a host of baseball players. But this is the first time we get to dive into the NBA. And we get the chance to do it with Luke Ridenour, a small town kid whose life was centered around basketball from as early as he can remember. His dad was his basketball coach. He had a basketball in his hand as my dad was my football coach, and I had a football in my hand at all times. And much like Luke, there was a realization ultimately that he could not do it alone. For him, it was collegiately that he made his commitment to his faith, and that didn't mean everything was rosy from there on out. Far from it. Plenty of adversity on and off the court. Plenty of adversity to make a stand for his faith in the world of the NBA. You're not going to want to miss this. Luke, as we do on so many of these podcasts, I love to rewind it, to go all the way back to where it all began for you. Far back as we go, yes. Coeur d'Alene, Post Falls, Spokane. My dad's from Spokane, so I was there till I was six. Once I hit six, we went to Eatonville for a year. So I spent kindergarten there, and then after that, my dad got the head coaching job, PE job at Blaine. Twelve years right there. How many brothers, sisters? Just one older sister. Just one older sister. And from the day you can remember, a basketball was in your hand. That's what they tell me. You know, first word was ball, one of those deals. My dad was always a coach. You know, he coached at Spokane Community College, so I was growing up in the gym. You know, that's all I knew. I was going to games, watching watching his teams play, watching him play rec league, all that fun stuff, and I just fell in love with it. Yeah, when was the first time you can remember? I love this game. I really start remember like first grade. I remember just recess, just getting out there playing, always having the ball, just loving the the idea that I could get out there and do it by myself. You know, basketball is rare that it's a sport that you can practice by yourself. I mean, you just need a hoop and a ball. And, and what was dad like? What was mom and dad like in those years bringing you up? You know, my dad, just being a coach and and being around the game, you know, always people always thought he, he would he force me to play and and uh, always try to get me in there. But he wasn't like that. He was pretty hands off. He wanted me to to play on my own. And if I if I took to it, he wanted it to be me. And I look back and I'm pretty thankful for that. That's the approach he took. He was never forcing me to do it. Uh, my mom was very, very just, you know, if that's something I want to do, she was very encouraging and supportive. And they kind of took the hands-off approach. Of course, I was always in the gym because my dad was coaching and stuff. But it was more just, you know, if he loves it, he'll do it. If he wants to play, he'll do it. And, you know, as I as I look back, I'm pretty thankful for, for that approach that they took. Because it's a little different. I don't know if you've been around many dads yeah. and coaches and kids lately, but it's a little different <laughs> mindset uh, that you can find yourself in gyms. I've noticed that. Just I have a second grader now, so he just starting to see little bits of it. I'm like, man, this is intense. I wonder if it was like that when I played. How about just the discipline and structure in home? What was that like? Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up, um, both my parents are teachers. So I think, you know, education was a big deal. You know, we, we tried to make church when we could. But being a Christian wasn't always something that, you know, I, I never caught on to me. I, I knew I knew Jesus. I knew who he was. But just that relationship, I didn't have it at a young age. Like, I, I look back and wish I would have. It's amazing, Luke, how many times we've heard that over the course yeah. of these podcasts. In season one of just the difference between religion 
versus relationship. I don't know if there's been a theme more consistent in these podcasts than that. Yeah. Whether it's I'm a good guy. Yeah. My parents are good people. Yeah. For me and my upbringing, that's what it was. Hey, you're a good person. Treat mm-hmm. people the right way. Do good things. Fortunately, youth pastor came into my life in seventh grade, started to rock my boat a little bit. Yeah. That there's a little bit more than to just be a good person, that there can actually legitimately be some relationship. Yeah. Was that boat rocked at all for you or that brought in through your years at home? You know what? It never really was at home. You know, we went to church. My mom made me go to Sunday school. It was one of those deals like I better go or, you know, my mom's going to let me know about it. You know, it was you're going one of those deals and you know, never wanted to. And but I always had that foundation of who Jesus was. They always modeled, you know, being good parents, being good people. You know, I started to see my mom reading the Bible. So I always knew about it. And I just never took that that relationship that I knew that I would need until I was later. For me, it didn't happen until I had a, in college, we had a chaplain that, that traveled with us. And it was my freshman year when things weren't going the way I thought they were, where, you know, I met Jesus for the first time. He started rocking my boat. I actually started reading the Bible and scriptures come alive. It's just, so for me, it didn't happen as a young, as a young guy, but it did happen, you know, when I got through high school and started college. One thing I am curious about, Luke, then, is some of those years and those formative years of junior high and high school and all the basketball success. If it was religion as far as the faith went, was basketball religion? Totally was. You know, I, I watched the Pistol Pete Maravich video in the fifth grade, and I saw Pistol, you know, Pistol Pete carrying the ball around, um, just doing what he did and practicing all the time, spinning it, and I thought, that's what I want to be. So for me, that's what happened. Basketball became that center point. It became that that God, that thing that I that I worshipped, and all my time went into it to make it professional athlete. You know, just like I do, you got to put time in. You got to work. I saw the time that he put in and where he went to, and then I started watching John Stockton and just these guys that were, you know, small little white guys like me trying to make it, and that's what it was for me. Basketball was who I was. It was what I was known for. And it eventually, it took me over. What did that look like? What did the day in Luke Renauer's life look like in junior high, in the high school, the amount of time and sacrifice? It started, like I said, in fifth grade when I really remember start practicing. So I started to wake up, you know, five, six in the morning out there dribbling, waiting for the neighbor to call to tell me to stop bouncing the balls too early. Um, and I started getting into jump rope. I wanted to be faster. I wasn't fast enough. So i Became obsessed with jumping rope to get faster. And I would honestly spend three to four hours a day just from the fifth grade on through high school. It was basketball. I was going to play anywhere I could against anybody I could, open gyms, and I was going to do whatever I could to get to get that step on people. And community support, mom and dad, teachers, coaches, AAU, I'm going to guess, all kind of start to feed that beast? They do. And, you know, I look back on it and it, it is what I was known for. I mean, I still get people now that I live up there. I remember you carrying around your ball in fifth, sixth grade. And, you know, just it's just stuff that yes, people feed it. They say, oh, you got to go watch this kid play. And for me, it's like, I'm going to keep playing. I'm going to keep getting better. And I remember going to a tournament, AAU tournament in Florida as a sixth grader. And I got there, you know, where I was from, I was pretty good. I could handle my own, get anywhere I wanted. And all of a sudden, these kids were better than me. 
So I remember that even rocked my boat even more when I got home. I started even getting more obsessed with practicing and wanting to get better and better. And, you know, when you're going through it, you don't think it's a bad thing. You know, I thought, this is great. I'm, I'm hoping I'm getting better. I have goals. I'm going to go to college, the NBA. Um, but you don't realize the little things in life that you start to t- put your focus toward. They start to take you over. And it becomes who you are. And for me, you know, we'll probably get to it as I, as I got to college. It kind of all hit a wall for me. And that, that was it. Yeah, I know because many times, and Luke, you're just getting into it. Yeah. You've got five kiddos. Your oldest is nine. Yeah. I've got three. My oldest is in the, in the basketball world right now. Uh, my wife played basketball at the University of Washington. And, man, I loved watching her play. I loved yeah. I loved playing in high school, too. Man. Yeah. I, some of my favorite sports memories – quite honestly, were high school basketball memories, the intensity of it yeah. and just, you know, the almost the intimacy in a gym, how personal it does become. And there's a line, man. There is a line because in trying to implement sacrifice and hard work and commitment and so many of these wonderful virtues mm-hmm. that sport teaches us, so true. and especially in my kids, I love to see. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter was just out yesterday, came home from school, She's transitioning from soccer to basketball a little bit, and she's out on the court for like a half hour. I have to run out to get her to practice, mm-hmm. and then she's at practice for two hours, and she did not like practice, so she came home and literally shot for another <laughs> hour, and she said, Dad, can you come rebound for me? And there's like this big part of me that's like, this is awesome. Yeah, you're right? loving it. <laughs> yeah, like this is awesome. <laughs> totally. But there's also that little part that you're right. I went into and tucked her in last night, and you do want to just talk about, hey, as awesome as that is. Mm-hmm. How do you guard it not becoming your identity? That's a great question because I'm the same way with my little boys. When they're out there shooting, I'm like, oh, they're doing it. I love it. (laughs) But then that part of me wells up like, man, I don't want them to be like I was. I want them to play and practice, and if they love it, let's do it. But there has to be that point where I want them to have a relationship with Jesus first. And when they're playing – they're playing for him. They're playing to glorify him. If you can learn that at a young age, I always think, man, that's awesome. But Luke, I don't think anybody would have looked at you in junior high and high school. And I was, yeah. I'd heard your name from afar. You're a little younger than I am. <laughs> but I don't think anybody associated Luke Ridnour as a selfish guy. Yeah. I think everybody associated Luke Ridnour as Pistol Pete. What an amazing <laughs> story. What a selfless, humble, hardworking guy. So really, how bad were those virtues? Yeah, you know what? It's hard to put it into words. Like for me, it just became everything, and there was no well-roundedness to to other things. And like you said, it's not a bad thing to go out and practice three hours a day. It's a good thing. You learn a lot from sports, and I learned a lot from it. And I learned a lot about myself. You know, when tough times come, you got to keep working, just like in life. And I think a lot of that stuff is so good that, that we get in sports and by practicing. And I think, like you say, where we draw that line is, okay, when is it becoming obsessive? When is it controlling my emotions? Like, I am so mad today because I played terrible. You know, I remember that as, as a fifth grader all the way up through. A lot of my emotions and my joy came from how I competed, how I played. You know, what people thought about me while I was competing and playing. Was I meeting their expectations? So it's just that, okay, you can have all that, but you're not going to play for these people. You're not going to play to please anybody else. For my kids, I hope I can install, you know, there, it can do all that, but 
your focus is you're doing this to please God, whether that's you're doing sports, whatever it is. A line between almost a passion and an idol. Yeah, so true. And you said it earlier that you hit the wall your freshman year of college. Mm -hmm. You ran right smack dab into, I am so passionate about this. I did. But this may just be an idol of mine. It hit me. Just, uh, you know, I, I was coming from a place of pretty high success in high school. You know, just uh, everything was pretty easy. McDonald's All-American, State Player of the Year, pick of colleges. You left the state of Washington, much to the chagrin <laughs> of a lot of us Huskies, to head down to and Oregon go over and be well. a duck and, and go play for Ernie and take them to the Elite yeah, and all yeah. of that. Sure. <laughs> no, you did. You had a ton of worldly success in high school. And a, as a McDonald's All-American, a pick of a lot of places to go to school. Yeah. So I got there and in my mind... It was just going to keep going the way it's been going. It was going to be easy. I was going to transition easy to the next level, and it didn't happen. You know, I, I got to start as a freshman, which was awesome, something I wanted to do. But as I was playing, all of a sudden, it's not as easy. You know, I'm not doing what I was doing my whole life. And I remember going back to my dorm room, and I remember praying, like, Lord, is this it? Is this how my joy, I'm going to get joy all the time is from how I play. And I just hit this wall of, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be known as just a basketball player. I want to be known as something different and I need you in it. And, you know, when I gave my life to the Lord that night in my dorm room, I had a chaplain that kind of took me under my wing and helped walk me through it and um, support me. But I had this weight on my shoulders that was released that I had never felt before. So it was something that I knew as soon as I did it, as soon as I said yes to Jesus, that I had this burden that I had put and this pressure that I had put on myself get released. And I knew from that point forward, that's what I was missing the whole time. Can you take me in a little more detail going back to your dorm room? What sparked that? Like People listen to this. Like, Hold on a second. Is it only because of failure? Oh, yeah. No. You're reaching. Is this your fire insurance? Just because you're failing now, you're just yeah. reaching out for some kind of faith. What did that really look and feel like? Well, I think the whole time, even in high school, I knew there was something more. I knew there was something I, I wanted. I just didn't really know how to get it. And I think sometimes in life, we got to hit the lowest point to realize that, you know what? It's been here the whole time. I've been looking at it the whole time, but I didn't see it. And all of a sudden, when I hit my lowest point, we were actually playing. We played UW at home my freshman year. Um, I'm starting. Game's going on. We end up losing the game. I hit a shot at the buzzer to to win it, but it was it was waved off. And I remember after the game just being so devastated. Like, I you know, the season's not going well. Now we're like, our record's like 500. Um, I've never been in a losing situation and I could just feel in my spirit and my heart something pulling me to open my Bible. And I'm like, I haven't read this Bible ever. <laughs> like my mom gave it to me with my name written in it, you know, a, a scripture in there, a little prophecy in there about what's going to happen. But I never opened it. And that night, you know, instead of driving home, I walked home on the beautiful campus of Oregon, walked over the river, got home to my dorm, and I opened that thing for the first time. And I, I don't know if other people have had this, but for me, when I opened it, it's like the scripture jumped at me. The words jumped out at me and I could feel the Holy Spirit in the room. And I knew at that point I was doing all what I had been doing for the wrong reason. And I gave my life to Jesus at that moment. 
I knew that I couldn't do it alone anymore. I think all along I, I felt like I was doing everything I was doing. I could do it by myself. Mm. You know, if I didn't do well, I'm just going to go practice a little bit more and I'm going to get better. And finally it hit me where I couldn't do it all alone anymore. And for, for people that, you know, when you hit that low, that low spot in your life and people might look and say, Hey, it's sports. You're playing sports. You're still pretty blessed, you know, but it doesn't matter what it is you're doing. If your joy is in one thing and it doesn't go well, what do you have left? And so for me, that's where it hit. When I was in that dorm room, the scriptures came out at me and I started reading it. I was wrecked after that. And your chaplain at Oregon was? Keith Jenkins. He was a pastor there and he traveled with us and was part of it. And just uh, more than anything, I had someone challenge me in my life, not just spiritually, but sports wise too. Why are you playing? What are you out here for? Are you trying to make people better in, in the sports world? And I never thought about that. I was thinking I'm trying to make myself better. Even though I'm a point guard, I'm trying to do what I can to get better. And he challenged me sports-wise, spiritually. And to have someone actually challenge you in your life that you've never had before, it, it rocked me. Do you have a pretty neat group at Oregon? Yeah, we had three or four guys that were actually in the same place I was that just had that family life, you know, that knew Jesus but weren't walking it. And we all kind of got got in it together. And so I had that support group. My room, They were all my roommates. You know, we all came in together. And to have people around you that are going through the same struggles you are and spiritually now trying to figure this whole getting saved thing out, it was awesome to have. You feel like you guys were culture changers? You know, as I look back at it and as I, I see what happened, we definitely got to change the culture and environment of that locker room. You know, guys, any sports, any environment you're in, you get guys from all walks of life, every place. That's one thing I love about sports is just the different diversity that you get. Um, yeah, we got to just to be in there and and see just, you know, living the party life, the college life that seems like gets all of us at some point, And all of a sudden, bam, we're making a stand and we're actually doing it. You don't want to get to see that every day. A moment or two that really you look back on that, and you're like, that was so cool for you guys collegiately before we get to your NBA run. First off, after I got saved, I felt like the Lord told me, okay, now I want you to start sharing it with people. So I got to actually take a stand for it and then go out in the community to Young Life and different groups and actually say, hey, I love Jesus. And not feel like I'm forcing it or trying to do something that's not in me. Um, it was so fun to be able to proclaim the name of Jesus and keep playing and watch the reaction that you get from people, both bad and good. But for me, it was, it was just all of a sudden I had a calling. I had a purpose for why I was there. Mm. And I remember playing at Matt court. We had another guy coach's son, Marcus Kent, that was a walk on, not really a Hooper, but just a passionate guy. Um, same thing, getting to know Jesus he started praying with us on the court before games. You know, each of us, one by one, laying hands on us. We'd pray. Mm. And just the reaction we got from the crowd and people, you know, writing letters and stuff in. And they did a big article on, on me and Luke Jackson in one of the ESPN magazines. And we got to say, talk about Jesus as college kids. Um, it was awesome. And I look back and I can see how God just began to open up doors. And 
I don't know if he, if it was a test to see where where we're gonna do, but what I found in sports is when we make a stand for Jesus and we actually walk it out and say it, and not just not just say it, but do it in our life, has a greater impact than anything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, for my teammates, when I got to say I'm a Christian, and all of a sudden I'm not doing the stuff I was doing before, and actually changed that that relationship and and seeing their hearts changed because of that is something that really impacted me on the kind of influence and leader that we can be for him in the sports world. What was the word you had on your alarm clock growing up? I had a lot of them. <laughs> like? I had, oh man, you're going to make it to the NBA. I had the odds of making it are 500,000 to one, but I'm going to be the one. You know, just those kind of things. And I had little things over my door that I would slap. I'm going to get 5,000 shots this month, whatever it was. I remember having one that said, it was a scripture, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, even though I wasn't wasn't saved, I knew that that said, well, I can do it. I had that one written on my wristband for most games that I played in, as, as I think a lot of athletes do as sure, encouragement. Yeah. So those were the words growing up. Those were the goals that were being set. Now you get saved. Mm-hmm. Now you have a radical transformation. Now what happens to those words? Now what happens to those goals? Now what happens to some of that passion? Does it change at all? You know what? It, I'm still was still super passionate about basketball. Kept practicing. That stuff never changed. The passion, the desire to get better, the will to compete. High level had it. You know, still feisty, still, you know, getting in people's faces. And one of the things that always bothered me once I got saved was when you're a Christian, you're soft. It used to drive me crazy. So I'm like, as I learned about Jesus and what he went through, and this, the word soft doesn't go. Because that's what happens. It is. Many people will think, oh, that's great. You hit bottom. I've heard this a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm around a lot of cynicism in the media business, man. There's a lot yeah. of psychology. Oh, you're just hit bottom, so now you got to have something to lean on. You're just soft. For sure. You're just soft. Luke, soft. you went soft. <laughs> You can't, I can't tell you how many times, especially in the NBA, you start to get that and people try to label you. And my comeback was, hey, I haven't changed as a player. I'm still competitive. I'm still feisty. I'm still getting in your face if I need to. But, and Jesus, you look at Jesus' life. Was there any softness in that? You know, that's something that you get to get to share with people. And for me, um, that stuff never changed. But... Now all of a sudden when I get saved and I'm playing, my mindset is different. I start to learn that, oh, as I play, I can actually worship Jesus through my play. That He actually likes what I'm doing. That he, he gave me this skill set to do and it actually pleases him that I'm doing it. That changed my whole mindset of, of, of why I'm here on earth. You know, that anything we do, you know, we do it to glorify him. And he gets enjoyment out of it. So for me, my mindset changed in that way that I'm pleasing him doing it. It's an act of worship for him. All of a sudden, all those criticisms and people saying stuff about you don't matter as much. They still get to you every once in a while. But for the main part, the most part, you're there to play for him. And and all the other stuff kind of fades away a little bit. And it just made it easier. It made the game fun again. Mm -hmm. And it made me have a purpose for why I actually play this game. And ultimately, an awesome run on the court. An Elite Eight run at Oregon hadn't happened in a long, long time. And you make a decision 
to head to the NBA, that those doors were going to open. A tough decision? I was ready. You know, school, I was ready to get out of there. Even though my parents were teachers, I kind of hit that wall like, man, I've been working a long time to get here. And I see a little door, I'm going to jump in it and see what happens. Sometimes, you know, in life, you got to jump for it, and I went for it. And did you have any idea that the hometown team was going to take you number 14 overall? No idea. You know, going into it, just you know how it is. You have no idea where you're going. People might think you do, but you don't know unless you're that first, second pick. Um, So I had no idea. I just jumped in and was riding the faith wave. Where am I headed? And so a kid from Post Falls to Blaine to Eugene now gets to go to the big lights. Big lights, the bright lights in the big city of Seattle. For me, being a Washington kid, watching the Sonics were it. You know, you got to watch them, Gary Payton, Nate McMillan, Kemp, the Rain Man. Yeah, I mean, that was it. So to be able to get a chance to hear your name and then the Seattle Supersonics after that, it floored me. It was a pretty emotional moment for me. Now, it's also a little different world. Yeah. That whole Jesus thing is a collegian <laughs> and on a team with you know a few other Christian guys and, and a chaplain that really challenged you and transformed life. Man, I hear you say it earlier, just to change life. People wonder, wow, how can I really impact someone or yeah. what words should I do? Don't say anything. Just your change life can be the most powerful testimony That's there is. True. But now you walk into the NBA, and what was that locker room like? It's totally different. You got grown men and you got little little kids, basically is the way I look at it. And uh, I was I was shell-shocked, I mean, just because of the fact that these are guys I watched idolize growing up, you know. You got Ray Allen's in the locker room, Richard Lewis, you know. Being local, these are guys that I followed, you know. So Brent Berry was in there. I don't know if you guys know Bones, but, man, he's a great guy. Just a uh, solid dude. But, you know, you go in there, and these are guys that you've looked up to your whole life, and all of a sudden – they're asking you questions and you're like, wow, what am I supposed to say? You know, you feel like you got to say the right thing. Um, so it was a totally different environment and a total challenge for me and something that, uh, as I look back on, especially, um, really helped mold my faith in who I was. And there's a lot of stories I can start to tell. Go ahead. Um, I remember for me, my first chance I got to tell them that I was a Christian was on the plane. You know, we just played an exhibition game. We're going to play the next one. I'm pumped just to be on a private plane. Like this is, I'm, this is out of my world. I'm from Blaine, Washington. We got a population three thousand. No cars or no Mercedes, anything like that rolling around. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting on a private plane to go play another game. So I'm already just kind of cloud nine here. And there's a conversation that starts about you know the party last night, where we're going, how many girls I slept with during this party, you know. Where are we going to go this night? You know, you're a rookie. You're coming with us type deal. And I'm sitting there with Nick Collison, who, who got drafted, you know, right with me at number 12. And uh, I'm thinking, what am I going to say? They're asking everybody, like, how many girls you slept with? It's like down the line. I'm like sixth in line. And I'm just like, I might have peed my pants a little bit. I'm like, don't ask me. Like, I'm just... Maybe we'll land all of a sudden, and they're not going to ask me anything, so I don't have to answer. Because I'm a Christian now. I, I got to stand up, you know. It's, yeah. uh, and, and I knew in my heart the whole time God's been preparing me for, okay, when you say you're a Christian, there's got to be a change. 
just because now that I'm following Jesus, you can't say it and not do it. And you can't be, you know, the Bible tells us to be bold about our faith. So this was my chance, and I, I'm sitting there in my chair just like, Lord, I don't want to do it. You know, pass me. I got to go to the bathroom for a while type deal. Anyway, it comes to me, and they ask me, like, how many girls you slept with? You know, this whole time, purity was a big deal to me growing up, even though I didn't know Jesus. I knew him, but my mom always instilled in me, this is something you're going to save for your wife. And it came to me, and like, so how many girls you slept with? You know, what what do you want to do tonight? Who are you trying to get? And I'm like, guys, zero. And I kind of was like, <laughs> zero. Sat back in my seat, reclined it, and it like erupted in there. I don't know if you've been in the locker room. Brock, you know what it's like. Uh, yeah. That locker room oh, can sure. get loud oh, real quick yeah. when something's done funny, not the way it should be, you know, type deal. And I'm like, zero. I just said it. I'm like, zero. And that's it. I just said zero. And they looked at me and you would have thought like I, Jesus was right behind me looking at them. And they just lost it. From that point forward, I guys said, you know what? I'm I love Jesus. I'm taking a stand for it. Purity is a big deal for me. And um, that's who I am. So I'm not going out tonight with you. And the amount of respect I got at that moment, that changed everything in that locker room for me. Mm. Yeah, they still pulled me to go places, but they knew that I was a little bit different and it wasn't going to be I wasn't going to fall in that crowd, even though they tried to get me to. And I, I stayed my ground. By me standing my ground, it really opened up an opportunity for those guys to respect it. And I, I'm sure they would seen a lot of guys say they're Christians and not walk it out. They got to see it. And just throughout that season and the seasons to come, the impact that I got to have, the conversations you get to have, I'll hold on that for the rest of my life. Were there a couple of those conversations that you just kind of hold even today most dear? Oh, for sure. Just, uh, you know, some of the coolest ones happened when we just started doing a little Bible studies on the road and we got to invite guys in. Some of the guys I was really close with that weren't Christians, they would still come and we'd get to pray together and they get a chance to pray and, and just seeing, you know, their life get transformed. Yeah, they still went out, but when they came back, they were different and, you know, all you, all we can do, we can't save people. All we can do is introduce it. And God plants the seed, and God does the rest of the work. But just the seeds that we get to plant uh, along the way, to see guys start coming to, to little Bible studies and start asking questions. All of a sudden, someone in their family's sick. Who are they coming to? You know, we had a guy, and when I was with the Minnesota Timberwolves, his mom got really sick, and she was in the hospital. At the same time, I had my some of my boys were in the hospital going through the same thing. And I had this list of scripture that I would pray over him on the plane. And he's sitting by me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, man, I'm praying these scriptures over my kids because I believe the words that we speak are powerful. And these scriptures that Jesus had wrote, that God wrote, when we speak them, I believe they come true. So all of a sudden he's asking for the scriptures. Can I have those? My mom's in the hospital. She's got cancer. Open up about this. He takes them. He starts praying them over his mom. Just little things like that throughout my career are just things that, you know, uh, you hold dear to and you understand why God placed you there. You get married after your second year. What is that process like as a married guy 
in the NBA? Married and young. I mean, you know, most guys, I feel like, at least in the NBA, you get engaged, but you don't get married because that's all right. You got like a 10-year grace period. Right. Yeah, for me, so as soon as I did it, you know, I was pumped. I've been saying to myself, I'm in. But that was a whole nother step, too, just before I could just manage basketball. My relationship with Jesus, basketball. Now I got a wife I got to try to get in the mix with me. And, and for us, it was always cool. She was an athlete. She knew what was going on. But she was the same place spiritually as I was in college. She kind of had got saved in college. So this whole time, even in, in the NBA, we're growing together, just learning about the Bible and the Holy Spirit, what we have access to. So I had her, and we were going through it together. And uh, it was just a fun ride to have somebody right there on your corner that challenges you. And she does that for me. Back to the passion um, versus idol. Now you become an NBA guy, right? Now that you've arrived in the NBA, is that line between passion and idol easier to walk when you get to the NBA? More challenging? Did it ever settle? I don't think it ever settled. I think it's always a challenge that I face. Now that I'm retired, it's a different challenge. But while I was playing, it was a challenge because you are trying to perform for people. You're trying to get that next contract. Thankfully for basketball, we got guaranteed contracts. You know, football, you don't have it. Yeah. So for us, you got a little comfort is you got years, you know, and you're, you're guaranteed to get. But you're still a performer for people, for GM, for coaches. You want playing time. And I think that was a harder part for me than anything else was, okay, how do I walk this out? Let my walk be seen, be and still be, you know, not let these coaches in my playing time dictate who I am. That was a big deal for me. And it was something that I struggled with, honestly, my whole career. You know, as I got older, it got easier, obviously, but you know, just because you're a Christian and you love Jesus and you're going for it for him, you still want that success on the court. You still want that playing time. You still want that. And when you don't, it doesn't go your way, how do we handle it? And I had an instance with the Sonics where I didn't handle it well. I'm a Christian. I'm saying I am. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm starting, playing really well. We went to the playoffs. The next year we get a new coach, you know, new personnel, new owner. Just things are different. And all of a sudden, I'm pouting. You know, I'm mad. I'm not out there like I should be. I earned this. Last year, I earned this. So I deserve to be out there. And, you know, when it's when when it's not given to you and you're not out there, that's when your true colors come out. And I realized at that point, I got a lot of stuff in me still, you know. I got a lot of selfishness and, and things that, that God is showing me. And eventually, I learned that as a learning opportunity to say, hey, the Holy Spirit, God is showing me something that I need. It's still in me. Just because you get saved doesn't mean the pride and the selfishness all of a sudden are gone. I think they're very much more even you're just aware of it now. <laughs> yes. So yeah. for me, that was something I had to deal with. You know, now that I'm saying this, I got to walk it out. And this is one of those ways you can try to walk it out. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, you it walk is. it out as a single guy, as you're walking it out through that commitment to be Mm -hmm. pure. You're walking it out through, I'm sure, finances. You're walking it out now through family, 
through France. The, the walk never ends. It never ends. In your NBA career, Luke seemingly never ended, man. Uh, <laughs> it, it went from Seattle to a few different stops along the way. Yeah, As you now look back a little bit in the rearview mirror, and by the way, I think an NBA record, right? You were traded four times in six days. So I think you may have that one I for said some that. time. Yeah. I'm in the books. <laughs> but as you look back now, a little more as you've retired in the rearview mirror and you look at those different stops. Was there something along each one of those stops that you can now look back and appreciate? Oh, for sure. You know, I wish I would have been with the Sonics when I was older. I would appreciate being a hometown kid, being here more. You know, when you're in the middle of it, you just, there's a lot of pressure with it and you let that get to you. I know that I did. And you know everybody, you know. You weren't in a new state, in a new city. I knew everybody. So I was dealing with those expectations of I got to be the guy I was at Oregon. I got to be the guy I was at Blaine. But it's a totally different level. And just dealing with that and being, you know, a fairly new Christian at the same time. So just, just things I learned at Seattle. Love my time there. But there's things I would have done different. And then I, after I, I go from there, from Seattle, I uh, went to Milwaukee you know, learned a lot about just being away from home. So for me, it was a lot of more the culture stuff of not being in a comfort zone. And I think as Christians, it's easy to get in a comfort zone. I know it was for me to stay in that little box, keep God in that box. Um, and all of a sudden, for me, I'm in a new city, don't know anybody, me and my wife, and it's a lot more difficult. I don't realize how good I had it when I was there. But the biggest thing for me was when I got traded from Milwaukee to Minnesota. I actually signed there as a free agent. So the the free agency time was my first time being a free agent. I'd never got the chance to uh, pick where I wanted to go. And, you know, I'm pumped about it. I just had the best year of my career out of Milwaukee. And you think the doors are going to fling wide open. First night of free agency, the Lakers call. This is when they got Kobe and Powell, and they got a chance to win it. And they, they offered me a contract right off the bat. I'm like, I am in. I'm going to the big show. I got a chance to win it. Finally, all this hard work is paying off. So me and my wife were in somewhere at the time. I hop on the plane. I say yes. I hop on the plane. I land. And my agent calls and says, hey, we've never had this happen before. They just, they offered you and another guy at the same time. They didn't think you both would say yes. So they're going to think about it for the night and let you know in the morning if it's still there, if the contract's still there. And I'm like, what? He's like, I've never seen this before, so I, I don't know what to tell you. So we we go through it. Morning comes. They call, say, hey, we're going to choose the other guy. So in my heart, I'm like, this is just some massive rejection. I just got pumped. I'm looking at houses and where we're going to live. And all of a sudden, bam. The whole time, I'm just thinking, what is God up to? You know, my walk is getting stronger, and my wife and I are just like, all right, there's two ways we can handle this. We can be really pissed off, or we can say, all right, what's God keeping us from, number one, and what's he got for us next? So next day comes, free agency along the line. It's it's a long process, but I end up signing with the Minnesota Timberwolves, worst team in the league. Won 17 games the year before, so I'm like, all right, this is this guy's got some jokes. God, what you got up your sleeve? Because this is not what I pictured free agency to be. This is not where I thought you were taking me. So we get there. My wife is pregnant. We have one boy at the time, Traden, who's now nine. 
we have our twins. My wife is pregnant with twins, so we know nothing about it. Um, we're just pumped to have more kids. You know, we're young, and our twins are born. Long story short, and there's a lot of complications. One of our boy, Kyson, is born with no esophagus, so he can't swallow. He can't breathe. He can breathe, but he can't eat. He can't swallow his own saliva. You know, he's he's not gonna make it. So we rush him in. We put a feeding tube in him. And they start telling us the options, what you have. And like, there's only one doctor in the country that does this surgery. I'm like, well, let's go. Where's he at? And they're like, he's here in Minnesota. So for me, it crushed me. I'm like, oh. Like, I still might start crying right now. Because you look at what, what the world sees and what I saw. I'm going to the Lakers. The best spot. I got a chance to win a championship. All of a sudden, worst team. Worst situation possible, basketball-wise, except you're getting guaranteed money and playing the NBA. But the best doctor in the country. It, like, wrecked, like, still to this day, I think about it, I'm like, man, all right, God, I'm just going to trust you because your ways are above our ways and your thoughts are above our thoughts. We were in the hospital about a year, but the surgery went great. They have kids flying in from all over who have had surgeries that the doctors messed it up, and they come to this guy. So this is like the guy. This is like you got Jordan on your team. And it goes great, you know. We're pumped about it, but about halfway through his surgery, it's a 10-day process where they stretch the esophagus so they can attach it. He gets super sick. They come to us and say, hey, he's not going to make it. Um, during the stretching process. He's medically paralyzed at the time. This is during the season, too. We're playing. So I'm like, just it's a roller coaster for us. So I take time off, just go with the boys and Kyson and my wife. But they come and tell us, hey, he's not going to make it. And it's another, another opportunity for my wife and I, Kate, just to say, okay, what road are we going to go down? Are we going to follow the words of what they're saying over us, or are we going to speak what the Bible says over them? So we get that same scripture, list of scriptures. We start speaking it over and we're praying over. My wife is a rock. She's like, I'm like balling, done. She's like, nope, it's not going to happen. He's going to make it. So then I jump in that with her and we're just praying, believing. Three surgeries later, in three days, he's not going to make it. But after that day, we just kept praying, believing. All of a sudden, he got better. He got better. He got better. And not going to make it to, he's going to make it. So we got to see God totally transform the situation and bring him out of it. All because we ended up in Minnesota. Long story short, but just believe in what God does, trust in his plan, because it's never what we think it's going to be. It's always better. Um, that's one of the biggest, I think your question was, what's one spot that sticks out to you? It was that one. You know, it wasn't even basketball related. But I look back and I say that helped form our faith, our marriage, who we are. And it was a journey that, yeah, it was because of basketball, but it's a lot more than that. And seven years later? He's rocking it. He's in kindergarten, dominating, having fun, can eat now. Now, it's a long process to be able to eat. He started eating, walking when he was like three Started eating when he was like five, so now he's eating real foods. He's having lunch at school with the kids. Uh, he's in it, so 
a walking testimony and fun to see fun to see for us and then we decided to just have to have a full team right (laughs) then we thought why stop there (laughs) we're going for five three wasn't going to be enough we're going to put our little team together you end up retiring from the NBA. Yeah. Do you close that door or is that door closed for you? Yeah, I had a chance to go play a couple more. I'm, I don't know how many more years, but at least another year. And I just felt that my kids were starting school and I had just set the trade record. I didn't want to move anymore. I wanted my kids to be in the same spot. You know, being a professional athlete, we can kind of financially choose when is, you know, I don't need it anymore. And I can let my kids have a, a great life in the same town, not have to move to move. I just saw so many ill effects of that through coaches and other things. I thought, when my kids start school, I'm going to be done. And fortunately enough, I got to play long enough that when they started school, I got to say, all right, I'm out and go out on my own. you have any idea what this journey is going to look like here down the road? I mean, you're nine, your twins are seven, (laughs) right? Is you kind of now both look through the, rear view and also right into this windshield man is they're starting to get to that age pretty close to where you started to watch at least with your oldest the pistol pete video what do you hope in this journey i'm excited about it it's just a new chapter um just being retired has got whole new challenges and advantages with it but i'm excited just to see where they're going i'm gonna let them watch the pistol pete video just like i did and hope that they love it like i did but if they don't that's all right too But at the same time, just try to let them know that there's a lot more to a sport than just the sport, you know, and we, we're here and yeah, he gives us the gifts, but we, he, he gives them to us to use them for him. And I think if I can teach him one thing, it's that, Hey, he gave it to you. It's awesome. Go for it. Do everything you can, but remember who gave it to you. Above and beyond the intersection of faith and sports subscribe to receive every episode at above and beyond podcast.com